Well, this morning, uh, I'm excited because we're going to wrap up our next series, or, or wrap up our series titled Unshakable. And if you look with me on that first point on your outline, we said that we serve an unshakable God. Amen. We serve an unshakable God. God is God with or God is God without you. He is God. Amen. We said that we not only serve an unshakable God, but we've received an unshakable kingdom. That the kingdom of God is unshakable. We said it's eternal and it's internal, and therefore it's not subjected to the governments of this world. How many know the kingdom of God is not subdued by the things of this world? The kingdom of God rules over the things of this world. And then we talked about how that not only have we received an unshakable kingdom, but we have unshakable resources. And we talked about the word of God, the spirit of God, and the love of God, and how that those are three rivers that never run dry. I mean, we have access to the fullness of life that God has given us through the word of God, which is his promises, through the spirit of God, which is his presence and his power, and then through the love of God, which gives us the strength and stability to press through the difficult and challenging times of life. Well, today we're going to continue that part, that next part, and that's talking about how do we take an unshakable God, unshakable kingdom, and unshakable resources, and how do we live an unshakable life? And we kind of began that last Sunday. Let me just reread a little bit of what we talked about last week. We said we live an unshakable life. Uh, to live an unshakable life means that we live rooted in the reality that we are complete in Christ who is ahead over everything. The way we live an unshakable life is we live rooted in that reality that we are complete in Christ. That we are complete in Christ and Christ is the head over everything. He has all power and all authority and all dominion and he does not answer to anybody because he rules everything. Amen? And so all of a sudden we recognize if I'm going to live an unshakable life, I've got to live rooted not just in a revelation that I have everything in Christ, but in a reality. And we talked about how that our real life is hidden in Christ. And there is a reality in Jesus that allows us to function and live different than the world lives. And let me just encourage you in something today. When you think about being unshakable, when you think about living a consistent life, how many of you understand that consistency in our culture today is a rarity? <laughs> To see consistency, to see people consistently serve God, to see people consistently invest in their marriages, to see people consistently build healthy relationships, to see people consistently do the right thing when all the world's doing the wrong thing, that is something that makes you stand up and stand out as a light in the darkness. And I'm convinced that one of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have available to us today is an opportunity just to be consistent. To be, to be steady, to be, to, be, uh, to be steadfast and unmovable in the Lord and live a consistent Christian life that exemplifies God. And all of a sudden, when you do that, guess what happens? The world actually stands up and takes notice. And if you don't believe that is true, just think about your life. If you're like me, for many years, uh, I worked in the construction area, and I worked around a lot of people that, you know, uh, they, they always didn't want to invite me into their circles, and I definitely wasn't their best friends, and, uh, and they talked in ways I didn't talk, and they did things I didn't do, and I was many times on the outs uh, because I didn't live the way they lived. But when all hell broke loose in their life, do you know who they came to? When all hell broke loose and their marriage was struggling, their family was struggling, there was a diagnosis of cancer, they came to the guy they normally didn't talk to. They came to the guy they normally didn't hang out with. They came to the guy they normally didn't associate with. Why? Because they saw something in me. It was the consistency of Christ. It was a life that stood out 
for the glory of God. Not because I was this amazing vocal thing, but I just tried to live daily the life that God has called us to live. And I know our church, right? I know our church is filled with so many awesome people just like you guys that live that kind of life. And we know the power of consistency and being steadfast in the Lord because it is our greatest, I believe right now, evangelistic tool. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. So look at that next point. We said we live unshakable lives when we live from a place of completion in Christ instead of living from a place of need. When we live from a place of completion, I am complete in Christ, lacking nothing. And I want to live from Christ instead of live from need. And we talked about last week how that if you want to live an unshakable life relationally, then you can't live out of a place of relational need. I can't need you to love me and need you to approve of me and need you to applaud me for me to feel like I am valuable or significant or important. I have to understand that I am complete in Christ. I am loved, I am accepted, and I am approved in God. And therefore, I don't have to need your love. I can live from a place of love. And ultimately, we talked about, I can actually treat people the way I want to be treated regardless of how they treat me because I don't need their approval. I am now living from love and love frees me amen it frees me from being a people pleaser or from being a manipulator that has to use people to get affirmation so that I feel valuable and important and so we talked about that least so I, 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 we talked about that last week I've got to move from living out of a place of need to living in a place of completion in Christ so today we're going to continue that thought today we're going to talk about two other areas we're going to talk about what does it mean to be unshakable financially because how many of you know that people do crazy things for money? I mean, let's just be honest. If we all just kind of think, we may be in this room, all of us might have a little testimony where maybe we chased a dollar doing some things we wish we'd have never done. Compromise some things we wish we'd never compromise. Cross some lines that maybe we wish we would have never crossed. Money makes people do crazy things. It is tax time right now, guys, right? good time to be honest but isn't it amazing the pool right isn't it amazing the draw of this world to function out of a place of need while well, I need to be financially blessed I need an extra hundred dollars I need an extra thousand dollars I need an extra five hundred dollars and if I just you know it's kind of true but not really true And all of a sudden, this thing gets real. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Look at this next point. So if we live, hear me, if we live from a place of financial need, then we sell ourselves to the highest bidder. We sell ourselves to the highest bidder, and we compromise and justify sin in order to be financially blessed. See, if we live out of that need, I need, right? I need more money because I need a bigger house or a nicer car or cooler clothes because I'm finding my value, hear me today, I'm finding my value and my worth in what I own and what I have instead of in my completion in Christ. And all of a sudden, I start functioning out of a place of financial need that challenges me to begin to sell myself to the highest bidder. Think about this. How many times have you seen someone quit a job that they loved with people that they enjoyed working with 
to take a job that paid more money only to be miserable for the next five years of their life. You ever seen that happen? I have. I've seen it happen over and over again. Think about this. Think about how many people do you know that started their own business with the goal of spending more time with their family? Right? Hey, I'm going to be my own boss because I want to spend more time with my family. I want to take more vacations. I want to have longer weekends. I want to be there to help raise my kids and spend time with my wife or my husband, whatever it might be. And how many times have we seen people start their own business with that being the goal, but they end up neglecting their family more than they ever did in pursuit of money? We just need a little more. And let me tell you something about this, this living out of this void of financial need where I just need more. It's rooted in the lust of our flesh. And let me just tell you something your flesh will never say. Your flesh will never say that's enough. It'll never say that's enough. I mean, just think of the basic elements that, we are really, that, are, that are really required for us to live. Your belly never says, you know, that's enough food. I don't think I'm going to eat anymore for the rest of my life. And that's a basic element, but just think about how that multiplies. I just need, you know, I need a, a newer car. You know, I needed that car, but that car's not new anymore. Now I need a newer car, and I need a bigger house, and I need nicer clothes. And let's be honest, nothing wrong with any of that stuff. All those things are actually the blessing of God. But when I function out of a place of financial need, where I need those things to feel significant, and I need those things to feel important, and I need those things to feel valuable, and like I'm somebody, all of a sudden, I am being manipulated by the enemy. I'm being sold to the highest bidder, and I'm living a life of compromise and justifying sin. Because it won't be very long, you'll start crossing some lines for the sake of money. I love it when people ask me, well, Pastor Keith, what do you think about this? And the fact that you're asking me means you already know it's wrong. When I start having to debate a decision, that decision is already wrong. See, you know in your heart of hearts what's the right thing to do. It's when you try to do the wrong thing that you have to convince yourself that it is okay. Now, I'm not saying we don't need wise counsel, and I'm not saying there aren't seasons and situations where we need real discussion and real things, but how many of you understand what I'm talking about? There are a lot of times we talk ourselves into justifying sin, and many times we justify sin very much directed to how it prospers us financially. If we live in a place of financial need, we will not be unshakable, we will be unstable. And we will end up compromising the very virtues and values that we love and honor in our hearts. And then we end up living under guilt and shame and condemnation. Because at the end of the day, even though we got the new car, the new house, or the new money, or the more money, whatever it is, we're not happy with who we had to become in order to get the things that we got. And it's a trap, guys. And if you just look at our world today, our world is upside down in debt because we're operating out of a financial need, out of the lust of the flesh that says, I just need more. Well, how much more do you need? Just a little more. And again, nothing wrong with more. I believe God's a God of more than enough. Amen? But when you're driven by that need, instead of living from a place of completion in Christ, it consumes you. Look with me at that next point. Let's flip the coin. When we live 
from the blessing of God. When we live from the blessing of God, to be a blessing, not to be blessed, we walk in integrity, we can't be bought, and we will pursue the will of God. Look at Ephesians 1.3. I'll praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. We are blessed. Let me, tell you, uh, let me give you a great revelation today. You are blessed. You are blessed to the Lord. You are blessed and highly favored of God. And we can begin to live from that place. I am complete in Christ. I'm not living out of a place of financial need. I'm living out of a place of blessing because I am blessed of the Lord and I am favored by God. And all of a sudden, amazing things begin to shift and amazing things begin to happen when I begin to live out of the blessing of the Lord. And you might say, well, Pastor Keith, I don't know if you read that scripture, but the Bible says he blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and I don't need a spiritual blessing, I need money. <laughs> well, let me give you a scripture, Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Let me tell you what's more important than money. It is the blessing of God. Why? Because the blessing of God produces spiritual, physical, relational, and financial wealth. The blessing of the Lord. The blessing of God gives you favor. The blessing of God opens doors. The blessing of God creates increase in your life. The blessing of God multiplies the works of your hand and gives you more in return than you ever imagined investing in the front end. The blessing of God makes us rich. So what happens when we begin to live? Instead of from a place of financial need, we begin to live from a place of blessing. And what does it mean to do that? It means simply this. It means that instead of going to work every day wanting to get blessed, I go to work every day to be a blessing. Amen. What if you got up tomorrow morning and instead of going to work to earn a paycheck, what if you went to work to be a blessing to the people you work with or to be a blessing to the people you work for? Or to be a blessing to the people that work for you, depending on where you are in that little chain of events. You know what would happen? It would free you. See, most people are working for money. Right? If I didn't have to, have, I, I wouldn't get up and do this job. What if you started working for, to be a blessing instead of working to earn a paycheck? Now, I'm not saying we don't need a paycheck. Praise God for mine. I hope, I'm glad you got yours too. Amen. It's good stuff. But if I work from a place of financial need where I'm pursuing the blessing instead of working from the blessing of God where I get up every day to be a blessing, all of a sudden when I shift, that changes. And I can go to work not dreading what I've got to do the next day, but looking for an opportunity to be a blessing. And let me just say this to you today. How many of you realize most of us on our jobs need somebody to come in there and bring the blessing of God, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. Most of us work in environments where we need somebody to show up and bring the blessing. See, there's a story about Joshua or Joseph in the Old Testament. And the Bible says when Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house, that God blessed Potiphar because of Joseph because the Lord was with him. And all of a sudden, Joseph brought the blessing of God to every place that he went. When he went to the prison... Guess what happened? The Lord prospered him, and the Lord blessed him, and the Lord promoted him. Why? Because he was blessed. And I've said this many times here at Liberty. I don't believe God wants everybody to, quote, be a millionaire, but I believe that God wants everybody to be the most blessed whatever it is you are. 
If you're a mechanic, you ought, to be the most, you ought to be the most blessed mechanic. If you're a carpet layer like I was, you ought to be the most blessed carpet layer. If you're an engineer, you ought to be the most blessed engineer. If you're a homemaker, you ought to be the most blessed homemaker. Whatever it is, you ought to be the most blessed there is. Why? Because you are blessed. And when you begin to operate from that blessing, it changes the way you live your life. And all of a sudden, you're no longer being sold to the highest bidder. You can actually live from integrity. Think about that. Think about what it means to live in a place of integrity. All of a sudden, you can do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because it's going to make you more money. How many times have we seen people only do the right thing when it made them money, and when it didn't make them money, they did the wrong thing? <laughs> That's not integrity. Integrity is doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And all of a sudden, I can live an integrous life. Because I'm not pursuing the blessing, I am blessed, and I'm living my life to be a blessing to other people. And for many years, let me just be honest with you, for many years, I laid carpet, and I did not like laying carpet. And I'd have to give myself a pep talk in the morning. I'd have to remind myself why I was going to lay carpet today. And here's what the Holy Spirit told me. He said, Keith, do you realize that people will invite people into their house to lay their carpet, and those same people would never invite a pastor to come and visit them? And not only are they going to invite you in for one hour, you might go and spend three days at their house. And all of a sudden I had to realize God had blessed me to be a blessing. And I had to get up every day and know that I was going to work, doing a job I quote didn't like, but recognizing that I was called to be a blessing. And there were so many other things in ministry I wanted to be doing at that time, but I was called to be a blessing. And I could have hated my life and hated my job, and I did, to be honest with you. I struggled with that for, for many years. It was a tension that I walked in that was really ungodly and unhealthy. Then I laid carpet for Brother Curtis one day. He spent the whole day telling me how blessed I was to be able to lay carpet. And the whole time I was thinking, this is the worst job on the planet. What are you talking about? <laughs> and on my way home from his house, the Lord said, you know he's right. And I thought, ain't no way he's right, Lord. That can't be right. You're blessed to be able to do this. Now do it as a blessing. Stop trying to do it just to make money and fund the ministry because that's what I used to say. I'm just laying carpet so I can do ministry. He said, stop doing that. You're laying carpet because you're blessed to be a blessing. Now get up every day and go to work and be a blessing. And it changed my heart and my attitude. Because if you live out of financial need just chasing a dollar, you're going to be miserable. Because there's never enough dollars. Right? There's never enough. Look at that next point. Last point here about the financial side. When you live from the blessing, you are free from the manipulation of money. And you don't have to chase a dollar because the blessing of God will chase you down. As I was putting this together and the Holy Spirit was sharing these thoughts with me, I immediately thought of Deuteronomy 28. Let me read it to you. It says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commands which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. 
And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Not only is God going to bless you, they're going to overtake you. Listen to this. Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And look what he says here. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and your flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets, your breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do will be blessed. And the Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They'll attack from one way. They'll scatter from you in seven. Look at verse 8. And the Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do. And he will fill your storehouses with grain. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. Right? When you live from the blessing, you're free from the manipulation of money. You can stop chasing money because the blessing of God will chase you down. Now here's the good news. In the Old Testament, they were blessed because of their obedience. In the New Testament, we're blessed because of Jesus' obedience. Man, y'all missed a good shout right there. In the Old Testament, they were blessed because of their obedience. In the New Testament, we're blessed because of Jesus' obedience. It's what he did that causes us to be blessed. We are blessed because we're united in Christ. We are blessed because we've been redeemed by the blood. We are blessed because we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And it's no longer my merit that earns his blessing. It's his favor that's poured out on us that gives us the goodness of God. And whatever I do and wherever I go, I am blessed. Amen. And not only am I blessed, I get to be a blessing to every person I meet because I'm not looking for something. I'm not looking for a return. I'm looking to sow a seed. And if you sow a seed, you can't help but get a return. Amen. Because God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Praise the Lord. Well, let's make a little shift here. Let's talk about what it means to be spiritually unshakable so if we live from a place of spiritual need and I'm going to explain that right now what I mean by living from a place of spiritual need if we live from a place of spiritual need we are always trying to appease God because he's mad at us because we screwed up or else we're trying to earn the favor of God because we need God to do something so I better be really really good so God will work on my behalf and this creates, right, this, this, this living from a place of spiritual need where I'm trying to appease God or earn the favor of God, this is really deception. This spiritual need that many people operate of, out of is living in a place of spiritual deception which creates legalism and guilt and shame. Let, let me give you a thought. The Holy Spirit quickened this to me this week. He said, Keith, do you realize that most Christians or many Christians act like God is bipolar? Many Christians act like God is bipolar. Think about it. You ever listen to people talk? You ever listen to Christians talk? One day God loves them. One day God is against them. God, I just don't know why you're doing this to me. My life is so hard and you just keep making it harder. And I just don't understand if I'm ever going to get out. Why, Lord? Why are you doing this to me? Three days later, whoo, the Lord loves me. He's so good. His favor's all over me. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. One day God's blessing them, one day God's cursing them. One day God is for them, and one day God is against them. They act like God's bipolar. Let me give you some good news. He's not. God's not bipolar. And if you have a deceptive view of God that makes God bipolar, which simply means this, God responds to you based on your obedience or disobedience. God loves you, God values you, and God 
uh, celebrates you based on your obedience or disobedience. If you live in that light, you're going to constantly be trying to appease God or constantly trying to, pe to please the Lord and earn His favor. But all of a sudden, when you come to a place when you realize that God loves you because of what Jesus did, and that you are now the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That your value and your worth and your acceptance to God has nothing to do with your behavior. It has everything to do with your belief in the one who redeemed you and rescued you and purchased you and covered you with his blood. Does that mean we can live any way we want to live? Absolutely not. Anybody that believes that way is truly deceived. When you understand the gift of God and the gift of his righteousness, all of a sudden you recognize, I don't have to live out of this place where I'm trying to appease God and please God and dance around him because I'm afraid of him. Yeah, if you grew up with an angry dad, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I know a lot of people grew up with angry dads. And if you grew up with an angry dad, then you know what happened? You probably came in the house, and you probably danced around daddy. And if he was in the living room, you went to the bedroom. And if he was in the bedroom, you went to the living room. If he was in the kitchen, you went down the hall. Because you never knew. You know what I'm talking about? You never knew what kind of mood he was going to be in, what kind of temper he was going to have, what he was going to throw. He might love you or he might hate you, but you never knew. Day to day, it always changed. And many people grew up in homes like that. Maybe it wasn't their dad. Maybe it was their mother. Maybe it was a sibling. But many of us grew up in homes where you had that person that everybody danced around. And you know what happens when you dance around somebody that's bipolar? And they're not really bipolar. They're just messed up in their flesh. But when, <laughs> that's a bonus point, by the way. That's become an excuse. There is real bipolar, but that's become an excuse for people living in their flesh. But what happens is when you dance around somebody like that, you never connect to them. You never relate to them. You never really get to walk into their presence without fear. Because you're always afraid because you never know what version of mom or daddy am I going to get today. Who's going to be in the chair when I get home today? You never really know. And unfortunately, we have projected that image upon our God who is not bipolar and he's not messed up and he's not in his flesh. He is holy, he is righteous, he is just, and he is true. And he has made you righteous through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And you have been adopted into his family and he loves you unconditionally. And when you can move to that place, look at that next point. When you can move to that place, all of a sudden there is a shift that happens in your Christianity. See, when we live from a place of righteousness, to be righteous means to have right standing with God. I am right with God because of Jesus. I'm not right with God because I did more good things this week than I did bad things. I'm not right with God because I've been on a seven-day streak and I've not missed one day of reading my Bible and praying. And I'm doing really good, God. I know you're extra proud of me. And I probably should ask you for something really big right now while i got a winning streak going. <laughs> I am in right standing with God not based on any of that. I am in right standing with God based on one thing. That is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Only in him am I right with God. Outside of Jesus, I'm dead in the water, guys. Let, let me tell you something. If you, thank God, if you thank God is in heaven keeping score. A lady after the first service told me, I think it's called an agabus, that little thing. That I always call it the Chinese counting thing. You know what I'm talking about? All them little beads. If you thank God is in heaven keeping score, 
depending, basing your decisions off how he's going to love you or not love you, how he's going to bless you or not bless you, how he's going to help you or not help you. If you think God is in heaven keeping score, you are messed up. Because let me tell you a really good truth today. If God is in heaven keeping score, we're all dead in the water. We're doomed to hell with no hope if God is keeping score. But because of Jesus, he's wrote a big old W. You are now a winner. You are now victorious. You are now an overcomer. And you are righteous through the blood of the Lamb. And the scorecard has been laid aside. And all of a sudden, he recognizes you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And out of that righteousness, now we can begin to live because we've been freed from all the things that once bound us. And it's a beautiful life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imparting their trespasses to them, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As go, God, we're pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You have right standing with the Father. And God does not respond to you based on your actions and decisions. God responds to you based on... On the righteousness of God that comes through faith. You have right standing with the Father. Does that mean he doesn't discipline you? Absolutely not. God disciplines all that he loves. Does that mean he doesn't correct you? Absolutely not. God corrects those that he loves. But what it does mean is this. God is not bipolar. God never changes his mind about you. You are blessed. You are favored. You are loved. You are accepted. And God never changes his mind. And we cheapen. I want you to hear me today. We cheapen. We cheapen Christianity. We cheapen the blood of Jesus. And we live in guilt and shame and we live under condemnation. We beat ourselves up. I meet Christians all the time that, that walk around. They, they'll, they'll, they'll blow it and they'll mess up. And then they'll walk around for a day, two days, three days, three weeks just in self-condemnation and self-pity and self-shame. Just beating themselves up, beating themselves up, beating themselves up. Let me tell you something. All that self-pity and all that guilt and all that shame does not, does not appease the Lord. It is repentance. Confess your sin and repent of it and he'll forgive you. The only way to be reconciled to the Father is through forgiveness and repentance. That's it. You beating yourself up for three days doesn't help God and it doesn't help you. Think about it. The Lord gave me this illustration. Xander, our little grandson, he's seven months old. He's crawling now. And uh, he'll take our hands and he'll walk along. And, and I'm just thinking all this fun stuff that's going to be happening. And I was thinking about when he really starts walking. I thought, you know, when, when Xander starts walking and he's, and he's learned how to walk and he's walking across the floor and he stumbles and falls, you know what I would never do? I would never say, now stay down there. Don't, don't you get up. 
No, I want you to lay down on the floor. I want you to think about what you did. I want you to think about how you stumbled and fell. I want you to think. Just lay, don't, don't, no, don't get up. Lay down there. Yeah, you, ought to, you ought to be crying. Yeah, you ought to be crying. I can't believe you fell down. I can't believe you acted like that. What kind of child does this? I mean, we taught you how to walk, and now you're still falling down. I mean, come on, get out. Don't you get up. Stay right down there. No, 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 no. No, you hadn't cried enough. No, you haven't whined enough. No, you need to think about Think about how bad you were. Think about how pitiful you were. Think about how sorry you were. Just think about it. Come on, think about it. No father in their right mind would do that. But yet we think God does it. We think somehow he takes pleasure in us wallowing in our failures. Crying and moaning and wailing over the mistakes we made. Repent and get up. Repent and get up. Repent and get up. Repent and get up. That's what God wants you to do. That pleases the heart of God. And that's what it means to live out of righteousness. It means that I live in a place of faith that believes that God loves me and accepts me even when I falter and even when I fail. And again, that's not an excuse to live in sin. That is an empowerment to overcome sin because I now have something that's more precious than anything I ever imagined. I have the unconditional love of God. And how dare we think that we love our kids more than God loves us? And how dare we make God this angry man in heaven who takes pleasure in our pity and our sorrow and our pain? He never does. He loves you. And the thing that pleases him more than anything is when you do fall flat on your face, and we do, is that you get up quick and you repent quick. And you set your face toward him. And you start moving on again. Because I tell you, I know what we're going to do when Xander falls down. We're going to help him up. And we're going to say, come on, boy, you can do it. Come on, come to Papa. Man, God in heaven, I can see him. I can see him just saying, come to Papa, come on. To each and every one of us, just come to Papa. It's okay. No shame, no guilt, but faith, faith that rises up, boldness and authority. All of a sudden, when we live out of righteousness, we walk in a boldness. When we're confronted with adversity and we're confronted with opposition, we are bold. The righteous are bold as a lion, the Bible says. See, we can be bold. We don't have to bow down to this world. We don't have to bend to this world. We don't have to do any of those things. Why? Because we are right with God. I'm in right standing with the Father, and I can say what God says, and I can do what God says, and I can live like God says, because God is the king over all. And I can be bold. I can say, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, no, I'm not going to bow to that. No, I'm not going to bend to that. I'm going to live the life God's called me to live, and I'm going to be bold about the life that I live. And I'm going to walk in authority. When you live in right standing with God, you have authority. You know you're right with God, and because you know you're right with God, you have authority. The, the Holy Spirit quickened something to me literally just this morning. He said, Keith, many times when we, the reason we don't walk in authority is because we don't understand our righteousness in Christ. And many times because we failed and we've messed up and we've made mistakes, we've allowed those past mistakes to become a, a, a garment of shame that rests over us. And we believe that God's like people when he's not. He's God. And so when the opportunity comes that we need to take authority over the enemy, we somehow, because of guilt and shame from past mistakes, 
because of a lack of understanding of our righteousness in Christ. Instead of rebuking the enemy and taking authority over that and commanding the mountain to be moved in Jesus' name, we just kind of hunker down to it. We bow to the mountains. We bow to the storms. We bow to the enemy because we don't feel like that we have earned the right to use the authority that God has given us. And if I even did try to use it, God, you probably wouldn't do anything anyway because I remember last week I said something I shouldn't have said. And what happens is we disqualify ourselves from walking in the authority. And the Holy Spirit said, Keith, he said, the reason that is, it's really rooted in a lack of understanding of the righteousness of God. When you start living in a righteousness, I am right with God. And because I'm right with God, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Because I'm right with God, God speaks to me and God speaks through me because I am an ambassador for Christ. And it's a beautiful thing that begins to happen in our lives when we live from righteousness. Look at that last point. When we live from a place of righteousness, we live in the pleasure of the Lord instead of trying to appease the Lord. Psalms 149 verse 4 says the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Ephesians 1 5 says that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family to bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. When we live from the place of righteousness, we live in the pleasure of the Lord instead of trying to appease God. We live in the pleasure of the Lord. I really believe this is a missing link in modern-day Christianity. I, I believe the average American Christian doesn't really know what it means to live in the pleasure of the Lord, to feel his pleasure. The Bible says God sings over us. God rejoices over us. He celebrates us. He's your Father in heaven. And the Bible says he's adopted us. Think about this. The purpose of adoption is that you choose to enter into a lifelong love relationship. That's why people adopt kids. They don't adopt kids just to get them out of a bad situation. They adopt kids out of bad situations many times to bring them into a home where they can have a love relationship with that child forever. And God loves you, and he's invited you into this love relationship. And when you live in that right standing from the Father, instead of dancing around him because you don't want to upset him, you can run to him, and you can feel his pleasure. You can feel the pleasure of the Lord over your life. I want to close with a little video clip, and if you're watching online, they might mute the clip. They do that sometimes. If they do, we put the link on there. But I want to close with this clip. It's, it's, it's from one of my favorite movies. It's an old movie called The Chariots of Fire. It's, about, it's a true story about a guy named Eric Little. Eric Little was a missionary to China. He spent his, his, most of his adult life as a missionary in China. Died there sharing the gospel and spreading the gospel. But before he became a missionary, he was an Olympic gold medalist. And Eric Little understood what it meant to live in the pleasure of God. He ran for God's pleasure. He ran for his pleasure. And because he lived in the pleasure of God, he lived this unshakable life. A quick story, and you can go home and read it. You might want to watch the movie. Eric Little was a 100-meter racer, and he was fast. And when the Olympic events came and they got to where they were going to run the Olympics, they ended up changing his event to be on Sunday. And Eric had settled early in his life as a believer. He said, I'll not race on Sunday. I'll race six days a week, but Sunday I will not run a race. 
And all of a sudden, his coaches and his teammates begin to pressure him. You got to run. You're our only chance for a gold medal. You're our only hope. You got to run. You got to run. And he stood unshakable. He said, I will not run because I don't run for the applause of people. I don't run for a gold medal. I run for the pleasure of the Lord. So they had to reschedule him from the 100 meter to the 400 meter race. Big difference. And imagine if you're an Olympic athlete, been training for the 100 meter, and now you've been shifted to the 400 meter race. They shifted him to that race, and he runs, and he wins. And I want to show you this little two-minute clip here. And in the clip, at the end of it, he's thinking out loud as he's running, and he, he remembers a quote, and it shows his sister. She's up in the sand. He remembers a quote that he told her, and it's just a beautiful movie that portrays the pleasure of God, really how we ought to be living our lives. So let's watch this together. It says in the old book, he that honors me, I will honor. Good luck, Jackson Shores. Where does the power come from to see the race to its end from within? God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. feel this pleasure I wonder do you feel his pleasure today do you know what it means to live for the pleasure of God not appeasing and not trying to please but enjoying his pleasure when I run I feel his pleasure such a beautiful beautiful picture of what I believe our Christian life should look like not striving, not pushing, not dancing around a God that is angry or mad at us, but running because we feel the pleasure of the Lord. I want you just to bow your heads. If you're watching online, I want you to bow your heads. Maybe you're here today and maybe you say, Pastor Keith, I've never experienced the pleasure of God. 
And maybe you realize this morning there's really one reason why why that probably is. It's because maybe you realize today you've never accepted Jesus as Lord. See, it's in Christ that we feel God's pleasure. And it's in Christ that we're made righteous. Apart from Him, we are without hope. But in Him today, there is a living hope that releases the pleasure of God over our lives. If you're here today in person or you're watching online and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never experienced that. And today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to surrender my life to Christ. And I want to follow Him. And I want to know what it means to live for the pleasure of God. I want to be saved. If that's you in person or online, just raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith. Just raise your hand that says, today's my day. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji or just type in, I'm raising my hand. I want to feel the pleasure of the Lord. I want to know what it means to be complete in Christ. I want to step into that righteousness that God gives us as a gift so I can know God. This is your moment to feel His pleasure. And here's the good news. It doesn't end today. You can live in the pleasure of God. You can live in the fullness of life that He has for you. So let's just pray this prayer right now. If you raised your hand, this is for you. Let's say it together. I want to ask everybody here in person just to say it out loud with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I confess that I'm a sinner and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I receive today by faith the gift of righteousness and I receive today the pleasure of the Lord. Let me feel your love and live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. If you prayed that prayer online, please click that information link there. We'd love to follow up with you. We love you guys. A quick reminder as we dismiss. Uh, if you have not signed up for the Grow Track and Encounter Weekend, you can do it at the Information Center. Uh, if you're interested in our small groups back in the cafe, small groups are launching this week. A great time to get connected uh, and really want to encourage you to do that. And uh, Pastor Kelly reminded me, if you're doing the Grow Track in person here in Arab or Holly Palm, we do have child care available. Uh, so we will have that for you during that 11 o'clock service. So we love you guys. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.